Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, and thank you very much for listening still and making commitment to your learning. We sincerely hope each and every one of you are doing well out there, all things considered in this crazy time that we're living in. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Yvonne Brandenburg, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Jordan Porter. Hi. So we, by the way, we apologize if there's a couple of parts that cut out a little bit. Jordan <laughs> is in the middle of like a thunderstorm or something today, <sighs> but we're going to try to record. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> there's no issues. So um, if things sound a little disjointed, um, we will do our best in the editing for you not to notice, but it may sound a little bit off today. So anyways, um, as far as like for housekeeping, housekeeping this week, uh, we, I don't think we have any shout outs for the question of the week last week. We've had a couple nope. people kind of talk to us about different episodes, but we did get a really cool email, which was fun, um, from Daniel. Thank who's you. Actually, because again, yeah, Jordan was very excited. <laughs> I know. I'm like adult interaction <laughs> through email. <laughs> Right. Um, so Daniel is a vet in the UK who um, was, is actually listening to our podcast, which is really cool. I'm like, oh, oh, a vet's listening to us. Hopefully we don't say anything ridiculous, which listening back, mm -hmm. I did say some ridiculous stuff in that episode. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but he says that he enjoys <laughs> listening to our podcast and keep up the good work. And it was um, funny because he just listened to the blood transfusion episode and um, he did his first uh, transfusion the day before listening to it, which is really cool. So hopefully, um, hopefully we had some tips for you going forward or you were just doing it all anyways and you're a rock star. So, but thank you, Daniel. <laughs> it was really cool hearing from you. Um, and speaking of the transfusion episode slash cross matching. <clears throat> I said, um, I said, I, I think I said serum multiple times when I really meant plasma. <sighs> so anyways, I was listening to it in the car and I was like, I sound stupid. I was like, oh, good. Good job, Yvonne. Yeah. So anyways, sorry. I meant plasma, not serum. If you listen to those episodes and you cringed like I did in the car, you know what I'm talking about. So. Is kind of like an editor's note in like the magazine, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we, um, we also, we wanted to just kind of do a quick shout out to, um, on our podcast page, it was really cool. We did a welcome, um, post and we had a bunch of people respond, which is fun. So Ashley Spicer, hi. She says she's a toddler tech, which is cute. So she's not a baby tech. She's a toddler tech. Um, and she is uh, listening to the podcast and applying the things that she learns, which is awesome. Uh, Stephanie Alta Morano, I believe. I think that's what it is. She's been doing it for about six years and she is thinking about applying for nutrition, which is awesome. By the way, we love nutrition peeps. There's not many right. of you, but you're mighty. Um, Matt, <laughs> who's also, you know, kind of one of our regulars, he welcomed everyone, which is awesome, by the way. Thank you, Matt. Uh, and then Jess Barker, she um, got a full-time position as an IM nurse, which is cool. Um, so hopefully things are going well for her. Melissa Stringer, she is in um, school to become a vet tech, which is awesome. Keep up the good work. Keep learning. Your brain will get used to it, I promise. And then um, Marinelle De La Cruz is um, in Alabama, which is kind of cool. And she just got promoted to shift lead in her hospital. So she's trying to trying to learn a little bit of everything, which is awesome. Um, we hope we, we can help with that. Thank you everyone for, um, you know, responding. We love, we love seeing the interaction and we try to do the best that we can, even though we're working full time with crazy stuff, Jordan, Jordan being mom right now. And 
you know, dealing with all of that. Uh, so yeah, definitely. It was awesome meeting everyone on the Facebook post. Uh, let us know if there's anything you guys want to hear about. Uh, it's very cool that you have joined us. Uh, and then I don't think we have any new reviews, so we won't talk about that. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else we need to cover before we dive in this week? Is there anything you want to talk um, about? Maybe other than the fact that we created a cool seizure journal. Yeah, the seizure journal. Um, so by the time this goes out, it'll probably be live on uh, Amazon. So <laughs> this is what happens when Yvonne gets bored and slash mm-hmm. she gets put into a different department. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I've been working with our neurologist for about three weeks um, just because one of his texts was out because of self-quarantining and everything. Um, and I gave one of his clients one of our journals and he was like, oh, this is awesome. Too bad we don't have a seizure journal. And I was like, what? <laughs> we can. <laughs> and I was like, I could definitely make you one. <laughs> so um, I, with like some of the stuff that he talked about, we went and um, kind of put it all together and created a seizure journal. So, um, yay. Very exciting. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen the picture, I think we posted it in Facebook of the, the cover that we did. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So probably by the time this is live, it'll, um, it'll be official on face or on, not on Facebook. It, well, yeah, it'll be on Facebook, but it'll probably be official <laughs> on and we can start letting you guys know, um, how to get it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then we'll, we're working on others. So to, to fall into the journal family. Yeah. (laughs) That, and we're still, um, we're still editing our first kind of bigger, I don't, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a book, but it's like a reference, um, for specific Mm -hmm. diseases, um, for, for, for clients. So they have like one place to get information. So we're still working on that. Hopefully we can get that kind of edited um soon yeah but that's what we're working on because we're dorks but we like it yep but other than Uh, that i don't think there's anything else to talk about before (laughs) we dive into this episode (laughs) nope so um so this week we are starting our respiratory system series so the next six weeks we'll be talking about stuff in the respiratory um yeah, we, we mentioned it last week. Part of it is, yes, <laughs> I feel like respiratory is very much on the forefront of our minds, but respiratory disease is, is 100% um, internal medicine related. Um, we deal with it quite a bit, especially at this time of the year. We're, we're spring, early summer. I feel like a lot of respiratory patients um, come into our clinics, both for... Um, consults as well as you know kind of our chronic patients that flare up this time of the year kind of like same with people so um, we figured Mm -hmm. this would be a good time to to dive into the respiratory system yeah yeah I agree yeah so this because who doesn't love how lungs work (laughs) right (laughs) so this week we're gonna kind of go over basics we're not gonna necessarily touch on specific diseases this week we're gonna break those up um in the following five weeks uh or five episodes um, depending on when you're listening to this uh so this week we're gonna talk about basics and break it down talk about um things more in general so all right uh ready to dive in Yes. All right. Let's, let's do, do it. This. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that um, I kind of wanted to touch on this week, because I feel like uh, it's always good to have references. Uh, there's a few references that I used for this episode, putting it together. Um, we had on the internal medicine for pet parents page. So internal medicine for pet slash respiratory. Um, there's kind of a start to the page. This gives us some of the basics as well as, uh, there is a YouTube video, which I thought was really cool that talks about like how the respiratory system works. We also, um, if you haven't checked out the Merck veterinary manual, 
online. It's awesome. It's such a great resource. They have a whole respiratory system um, section. So it's uh, mercvetmanual.com slash respiratory dash system, um, where you could just Google it, Merck Veterinary. And Merck is M-E-R-C-K. <laughs> Cause I always want to spell it M E R K, but it's not that. Um, and then also there's a, a good, um, VIN article that we'll link to as well that talks about heart and lung sounds because knowing how to auscultate and what to look for, um, is, is an important part of this. Uh, so those are kind of our, our big resources, um, as well as <laughs> our clinical and anatomy veterinary technician textbook. <laughs> I think Jordan and I refer to that quite a bit, especially mm-hmm. for our basics episodes. Yeah, definitely. So, um, things, so the first part is, you know, how does, wh- what the heck is the respiratory system? So, uh, the biggest thing to remember is the respiratory system helps bring oxygen in to the body for the cells to use and gets rid of the waste product, which is carbon dioxide, right? Um, so it, it, it brings in the oxygen to the lungs, and then the blood carries the oxygen to the cells, and that's part of metabolism. We, in order to be able to do that, we have to be able to somehow move air from the outside of the body into our lungs whether that's room air or, um, you know, when we're hooked up to an anesthetic machine or a ventilator, the oxygen that comes in, we need to somehow be able to move that. So to do that, right, we need to think of pressures. Um, and so remember if you, if you already took this class in school or if you're going through it now, what we need to do is the brain is part of this. It registers that we need oxygen in the body. So the muscles in the chest or the thorax, they get stimulated. And so what they do is they expand the rib cage and then the diaphragm, which is that huge muscle that separates the chest cavity from abdominal cavity that contracts as well and helps to increase the space in the chest. So what happens is when we increase the space, that creates a vacuum or a negative pressure in the chest. And then air rushes through the nose or the mouth, down the trachea, into the lungs through the bronchus, then to the bronchioles, and then all the way down to the very smallest parts, which are the alveoli. So I like to think of once you kind of get into the lungs, right? So when we're talking about trachea, bronchus, bronchi, that kind of stuff, um, I think of it as, as a tree. Like I think of it as an upside down tree. And so it starts out big, the tree trunk, and then gets into smaller. So the only place where we have oxygen exchange is going to be down at that alveoli. And the reason for that is down at the alveoli, it's literally just one cell layer thick. And that allows the oxygen or the room air that's brought into the lungs, right? It allows the oxygen to cross that cellular membrane. And then the capillaries are right there. So the red blood cells, you know, they drop off carbon dioxide and then pick up oxygen. And so we want it just to be that one cell layer thick so that that happens easily and quickly and efficiently. And then it goes to the body. Now the opposite, when we exhale, right? The chest and the diaphragm, the muscles relax. And then that pushes the air that's kind of loaded with carbon dioxide. It pushes that out of the lungs in this, in kind of the reverse order. So alveoli, bronchioles, bronchus, lungs, trachea, mouth or nose. So again, it comes in because we, our muscles are activated. And then once it relaxes, it pushes out. So it's, it's like, if you think of it as like bellows, that's kind of the best way to, to think of that. I mean, it, it's hard because 
it's simple and, and we don't think about it, but then it's complicated because of kind of all the cool stuff that the body does, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're nerds and we like to get down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's the basics. Now the respiratory system is broken up into two parts, right? So we have our upper respiratory and our lower respiratory and the break off point of where that is, is at the larynx. So basically the trachea is lower respiratory and then the larynx and above is all upper respiratory. Um, and it's very important when we talk about infections, diseases and stuff like that is knowing whether it's upper respiratory or lower respiratory. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like mis it's a misconception like too thinking that the trachea is part of the lower airway. If you were to just think about it, not really mm. no. Like you could easily think that the trachea would be probably part of the upper respiratory. And then once you get to that mm. the bra. Yeah. I can understand. Yeah, I I think it I think people just kind of go, where does it where does it change? And I think yeah. of it is like the flaps, right? <laughs> There's a valve. <laughs> so our larynx are the valve that protects the upper from the lower um and it's then, the door <laughs> yeah, to the it's the door it's the door to the lower down to the basement right um because we don't i mean up until kind of trachea you know if if gross stuff gets in there whether that's food <laughs> um water all that stuff it's fine it's not gonna food and water doesn't cause an infection really in your upper respiratory area unless you know you get food stuck <laughs> somewhere yeah which i have seen done in animals because it's usually dogs Cats it's usually dogs. a yellow lab Man, we give, <laughs> we give yellow labs a lot of black i was gonna say i actually well we we'll talk about this in the foreign body episode um but I had a cute little Frenchie puppy one time. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it had food stuck, (laughs) but yeah, as long as things don't get stuck in somewhere, you know, if food goes in there, it's not a big deal versus if you've accidentally inhaled any food of any sort, and no matter how big or small it is into your trachea, (laughs) if you've ever accidentally done that, you know that that is a bad thing. (laughs) So it um, hurts. (laughs) Yeah. It does not like, like I did that one time eating a hamburger and I was like, I just gave myself aspiration pneumonia. Like it, it just, it hurt for about a week. It was really stupid. Yeah. And it wasn't much. It was like teeny tiny amount. No, it's like when you like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure like I accidentally inhaled like a piece of ice cube. Like, and I'm like, ah, it gets cold and it hurts. This makes, this makes me just want to cough then it goes right away. now. I'm like, ugh, my, my chest. You're not allowed to cough right now. I'm not. This is one of the signs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're going to try our very best to not reference the elephant in the room 50 million times during this series. So. Yeah. Try. Keyword. Try. So anyway, um, the nares. <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> It doesn't get used a lot. It's very, everybody just calls them nostrils. Yeah. Like, but I think it's, it's, well, it's cause it is more the clinical term, the nares instead of just nostrils, yeah. which it's not that big of a difference. So I don't know why we had to name it nostrils. Like it's your nares. I'm sure humans probably coined the term nostrils first. And then, cause in human medicine, do they call it? I mean, I guess it's still called the nares, but they call it nostrils most often, I think. I don't know. Getting off topic here. Anyway, the nares are the outside part of the nose known as the nostrils. <laughs> if you didn't get that. <laughs> it's the part you flare. Um, yeah. When you think too hard or when you're, when yeah. you're mad at your husband for saying something and you just nostril flare at him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> no, never. Um, and then that leads to your nasal cavity, which includes your turbinates, which are the intricate structures within the nose that help clean and also warm the air entering the body. Um, also a common place 
for foreign bodies, such as foxtails, which is a California, well, West Coast thing. We don't have foxtails here. Um, that blows my mind, by the way. The first time I had a doctor work with me that had no clue what a foxtail was, I thought she was crazy. Yeah, never come across I, a foxtail. I, I, wow. This is, I hate foxtails. They're evil. I, I will post a picture because some of you have no idea what we're talking about. Yep. Oxtails are evil. <laughs> they can go I mean, wherever the, they want. <laughs> the stories that I've heard, it definitely sounds like something. I've seen grass stuck in the nose. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's um, grass ons, A-W-N, and it's like the, there's the spirally ones. Do you guys have sure. the spirally seed looking things? No. Not there's really. all sorts I mean, of like, crazy grass that goes up noses. It's honestly very rare for us to see a nasal foreign body. Really? Yeah, like we don't ever see them. Oh my god, I've seen so many of them; it's ridiculous. I think I've seen one, and it was a blade of grass and a cat. Huh. I've seen one blade of grass and a cat. The rest is all the dogs. (laughs) There. So, yeah. But if um, the other cool, so the turbinates are really interesting. If Mm -hmm. you've ever done a rhino, um, so rhinoscopy. You'll, you see them really up close and I just find them super fascinating because they are super fascinating. It's like that cool landscape of like canyons yeah. and stuff that you see, unless there's like something nasty up there that's eaten it all away. And then you're like, this isn't supposed to be this empty. <laughs> right. <I don't> know. <laughs> it's a big cavern. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but turbinates can also be a pain in the butt if you're trying to place uh-huh. a um, feeding tube because mm-hmm. you keep hitting up against the yeah yeah because we do sometimes do you do oxygen nasal cannulas sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Um, yeah but i like those ones that just sit right at the nares too like oh yeah like the people one where it's just like yeah yeah and then they have the two tubes on both sides i do like those and it's so simple don't tolerate it but i don't know see i think dogs tolerate that better than they tolerate the one in their nose yeah i think it I think they don't tolerate either one of them, but yeah, I do think you're that right. they tolerate the little, I call it the, the bowl. But have you one. ever had one? Like no. the oxygen's so dry. It just like when it, oh, it's so dry. Like I feel for patients with it. Cause yeah. It, well, and one thing that you can do to, to help mitigate the dryness is um, using a bubbler um, to kind of yeah. help flow that oxygen through but yeah so if you had it you've you've had one placed yeah um yeah yeah um either way it sucks because like I said it's so dry and like you know like those days where you wake up and like it's bit like it all of a sudden got cold and then like so just like your nose is so dry and it kind of hurts well, not even that. Like you think you have boogies, but you just, it's just dry and like, oh. just like sniffling. You go and like, you get a bloody nose cause it's so dry. It's so, Ooh. oh, I hate it. I hate it. Not to mention like having something shoved up your nose, but like, yeah, the oxygen itself is just like blowing into your nose and it's just, ah, it's like the worst chapped feeling ever. That sounds so, horrible. Anyway. Yeah. That's my experience with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's your nasal cavity <laughs> um and then we have the sinus sinuses so it's funny because when i think of sinuses i always think of like the ones that are below the eyes um but you technically have four of them you have them below the eyes and then above your eyes um and the same for dogs and cats uh so this is <laughs> so when i think of sinuses dogs and cats i think of fungus Fungus or tumors. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, not really. I don't think we ever deal with sinuses unless there's fungus. Yeah. Or cancer. That's it. But even then, that's more of like a... I don't deal with the sinuses because we still refer them to Onco. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I guess it's just for me, it's like just um, the the whole like uh, diagnosing part. Yeah. Yeah, sinuses. We don't do that much. I, you know, it's this is so random. I wonder if they get like sinus headaches. I mean, I imagine that they would have to. 
because I think about the times that we've done done like trephinations into the sinuses and I'm like god that's gotta like well it definitely hurts because we send our kids home with fentanyl patches for that because we tried once without it and it did not go well yeah we'll talk about we'll talk about trephinations probably in the rhinoscopy rhinoscopy episode yeah yeah so then you have your pharynx (laughs) yeah and then so you you go to your pharynx which is located um just behind the nasal cavity in the in the mouth um the oral cavity and above the esophagus and the larynx so that's known in humans as the throat i think of like i just think post nasal drip instantly when i think of the pharynx (laughs) and i think of it as the kind of the so the soft squishy part Mm -hmm. um and when we're doing rhinos that's kind of where we retroflex and look up so we go past the yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and look up in the you know up there to see if there's anything past the nose but not quite back of the into the throat yeah 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 and then the larynx i mean the larynx is the larynx that's where you see larpar and stuff so it's located at the top of the trachea and what it does is it helps protect the trachea from aspirating food or water. Normally, sometimes you swallow your spit and then you choke. Uh, <laughs> um, and then it also has the vocal folds um, known as the voice, back, voice box. And that structure is not functioning properly in pets with laryngeal paralysis. So um, that's why dogs with LARPAR, you'll hear that like raspy bark. It sounds like they've kind of been debarked and like... Yeah, depending on how bad it, that that whole yeah, yep. Yeah, parents will usually. I get clients complaining of like a change in their like snoring when they're sleeping, mm-hmm. and then a change in their bark before they actually have like a larpar emergency. Yeah, well, and larpar so laryngeal paralysis, um, because so the the larynx right those are those there's two laryngeal folds right. So when we're th- so for us like when we're intubating for anesthesia right there's the two it's the annoying part it's the especially in cats yeah let's be real laryngeal (laughs) spasm where instead of like opening wide and then closing opening wide and closing like with cats it doesn't it like flutters (laughs) and is super annoying and you can't intubate very well um so those are kind of the i think of them as the doors into um the trachea and so when we have laryngeal paralysis you can have one side versus the other you can have a partial paralysis where they work but not very well or you can have them where they're just flapping in the wind doing whatever the hell they want um at inappropriate times and instead of protecting the trachea stuff can just get through so unfortunately dogs because i don't think i've ever seen a cat with laryngeal paralysis Mm-mm. Yeah, I think it's just a dog thing. Um, but when when dogs get it, that's why like they'll they're more susceptible to things like aspiration pneumonia um, mm-hmm. or you know other issues because they're they're not able to protect the lower airway anymore. Um, and so like there's procedures you can do to to kind of help them breathe because that's the other problem is not to, not only does it not protect from things going in. But if you're trying to breathe and those don't open the way that they're supposed to, then a patient, a pet is going to be trying to breathe through a closed tube um, and they can't. And so that's when they get into that respiratory distress thing. So, Which is fun. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. So they can tie it back. Laryngeal tie back, if you've ever heard of that. (laughs) Yeah. Emergency laryngeal tie back. Those ones are fun. Ooh, yeah, no. Well, and I was gonna say, there's also the theory that dogs, the reason dogs will get laryngeal paralysis more often is because of their collars and how pulling constantly on that spot can actually cause Mm -hmm. trauma and scarring and stuff like that and cause paralysis, which is part of the reason why I lapsed. And goldens tend to have it because they're usually yanking on their neck leads, not caring. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, that's part of what they think can be responsible for it as well as just, we don't know, um, age and that kind of stuff. But yeah. Um, So lower respiratory since you don't want to talk about the upper anymore. (laughs) 
So again, the lower respiratory starts at the trachea. So we've gotten past our laryngeal flaps and now we're in the trachea and then we're going to go down to the smallest levels of the lungs called the alveoli. So trachea is first. Yes. Um, so the trachea, it's funny because it's also known as the windpipe. Everybody's like, oh, it's the windpipe. And it's like, Yes, the trachea. Um, and so this allows the air to pass down from the upper respiratory through the neck into the chest and then into the lungs. Um, if, you know, we talk about tracheal collapse. So there's, mm -hmm. there's, you know, it's a tube structure. There's also cartilaginous rings. So cartilage that goes throughout the, um, the trachea to help retain its round structure, especially when we're talking about um, it within the chest cavity, because remember the trachea is in the chest cavity. And when we're talking about the increased pressure, negative pressure or positive pressure, depending on which way they're breathing, um, you know, if you think about a structure, if there's not a rigid mm, structure within the tube, it would just, get big or flatten out with the pressure in the chest. So those, those rings are there to help maintain that shape so that there's no issues with air passing to and from um, mm -hmm. upper into the lungs. So, yeah. And it's the same thing with the collar thing though, too. It's thought that collars can cause that tracheal collapse because the cartilage mm -hmm. rings get worn out. Mm-hmm. Again, Weekend. pulling on the leash or whatever. Yep. By the little Yorkies who like to yap, yap, yap. Yeah. Well, and, and so that's why like, um, Yorkies and palms and stuff like that, we do say harnesses for them. Same sort of reason. We don't want to put undue pressure on the, well, in their case, trachea, because mm -hmm. They don't usually get laryngeal paralysis. I feel like their stuff is more trachea. Definitely. Um, and they and they they just genetically are more predisposed to tracheal issues than than laryngeal issues. Um, yeah. But it's because what happens with them is that cartilage actually, instead of being nice and firm, kind of like think about like your ear or your nose, because those are cartilage, right? If that were to become soft and flabby, then the trachea loses its shape um, and can kind of flap and cause issues. Um, so that's the trachea. And again, the trachea is not where gas exchange is happening. The trachea is just a tube like think of it as a straw that moves from one place to another yeah exactly um and then when we talk about the bronch bronchioles the bronchus right so then the trachea um gets to the tracheal bifurcation bronchial bifurcation so this is where it starts to branch out and so the bronchi is the first like tree trunk branches off of the trachea down into the lungs. And so we have the right and the left main stem bronchus. Those are going to be the widest parts and those have cartilage that also support those structures. So this still has cartilage in it because they're still big and need to be supported. Um, so the bronchioles, the bronchioles are smaller, right? And they no longer have cartilage to support their tubular structure. So they actually, if you've ever done a bronchial uh, or bronchoscopy, you can actually see them opening and closing with um, breathing and pressures and stuff that uh, like air that you're putting in because there's no cartilage to keep them open. Um, whereas the bronchi still have cartilage. Um, so those, those are kind of the big difference. Um, then again, we are breaking down smaller and smaller, smaller and smaller. We have the alveolar ducts. So those are the teeny tiny little ducts between the bronchioles down to the alveolar sacs. So, um, makes me think of broccoli, you know, how like, yeah. broccoli? <laughs> oh my God, that's a really good analogy. Broccoli. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It's like it's like the little pieces that keeps the little broccoli the little green parts on. Yeah, the little, little green parts exactly. <laughs> yes, and then the alveolar sacs. This is like where a cluster of alveoli, and I think of these as grapes. So a little grape cluster. Mm-hmm. So the sacs have um, a bunch of the small alveoli. And remember, the alveoli are the smallest part, and they're one cell layer thick. So these are teeny tiny. You're, when you look at the lung, you're not going to see them. You have to look under a microscope to be able to see them. Um, and this is where respiration, so gas exchange, because remember, respiration is, is gas exchange. So you can have, um, oh my gosh, so you can have, how do I <laughs> want to say this? So there's cellular respiration and then there's um, like lung respiration because remember we also have gas exchange down in your capillaries and the rest of your body, but Mm -hmm. we have respiration that we think of for, for the sake of respiratory system. (laughs) So confusing that happens at the alveoli. You know what? I know I bring this up a lot. No, you're good. But there's also a magic school bus episode on this. <laughs> Is there really? Nice. Yeah. You should about how, like they go into the lungs and you get into the alveoli and like how when blood passes by the alveoli, CO2 is exchanged and oxygen's brought in. Um you seriously okay, versa. we need to we need to link to that because I did we link to right. it in the last one when we talked about yes. the magic school bus? Okay. And then we'll yes. also have to post it in our Facebook group because <laughs> why would we not post Magic School Bus in our Facebook group? Uh, magic School Bus was ahead of its time when it came to like when I was watching it as a kid. Yeah. I was like, Yeah, this, this is interesting. But yeah. now I'm like, no, it makes total sense because now every time we talk about something like this, I just picture the Magic School Bus episodes. Well, and I mean, honestly, like if you can break it down in a way to understand, who cares what it looks like? If Magic School Bus works for you, watch it, right? Yeah, so. exactly. But yeah, I mean, you breathe in the oxygen, it makes its way down to the alveoli. Your alveoli has such a thin layer that the oxygen is then transferred to your erythrocytes and like, that's where your hemoglobin is. And then mm-hmm. your blood cells also transfer back to CO2 for you to exhale. Yeah. I'll have to find that episode because it was really, it was really good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I think um, the YouTube video that we have posted on the website, I think it goes, mm-hmm. I think it goes into that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes watching it more than one way is, the best way to yeah. understand this. Now, the other thing too, when we think of, cause we're going to start talking about um, like infections and issues in the next couple of episodes. But if you think about it, if the gas exchange happens in these teeny tiny sacs, these little bubbles that are one cell layer thick, if you've got mucus there, if you've got fluid, if you've got infection, fungus, whatever it is that is filling up these little alveoli, that's where the problem happens. And that's why, you know, it's such an issue if they're blocked off or they're not working properly because there's not a lot of room for error. So if the alveoli can't do what they're able to do because they're teeny tiny and like the smallest amount of mucus is covering them, well, that's a problem you know, or if they get damaged and they become, you know, instead of being able to be flexible, you know, like asthma or bronchitis, those kinds of things can really make it so it doesn't function properly. So it is important to understand how it works so that we can understand how things go wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause even just something as simple as inflammation and speaking as someone who has lung inflammation, like it does Mm -hmm. make it harder to oxygenate when your mm-hmm. alve- alveoli become inflamed and then you get fluid too from the inflammation and it just feels mm-hmm. weird uh, <laughs> but yeah yeah we've all we've all had to... those horrible chest colds or yeah you know like when i was a kid i had bronchitis i had like chronic bronchitis and it was just like it was horrible you feel like crap and and so us understanding what our patients are going through is, is kind of a big deal too so yeah, definitely. 
Um, and then we're going to talk about, so one of the biggest things for us in a clinic is understanding how to really differentiate between, first of all, between respiratory issues, and then also to understand the difference between upper versus lower respiratory. Um, obviously like if you, mm, how do I want to say this? If you see the problem, right, you know, it's upper, you know, it's lower, that's fine. But sometimes the first thing that we do is our TPR, right? And so we're going to look at our patient, we're going to listen to them. And, and if they're having respiratory issues, we can usually hear some sort of change. Um, and so that's, you know, when we're auscultating, or just looking at them depends on how bad it is. Sometimes we can hear it just looking at the pet versus we're listening to them with a stethoscope. Um, so with upper respiratory, we kind of think of there's, there's usually two sounds that happen that are abnormal. Um, so there is, there was, it was the canine and feline practice, um, book, that talked about the difference between Sturter and Strider, which I thought was, it was interesting because I think Jordan and I kind of both had that, well, it's inspiratory versus expiratory. Well, it mm -hmm. actually isn't, which my mind was kind of blown by this. So it, it doesn't have right. to do whether it's on intake or outtake of breath. Like you breathe in, you breathe out, has nothing to do with whether it's Sturter or Strider, which annoys me because that's how I learned it. <laughs> So the difference is actually the sound that it makes. So sturder is more of a low pitched sound. And what that suggests is that there's tissue. So um, flabby or flaccid tissue that vibrates throughout the respiratory cycle. And this could be again, inspiratory or expiratory. So think of this as like snoring or like I think of pugs and bulldogs. And so what happens is, you know, if it's not a pug or a bulldog, right? If it's something new that has just come up, we're going to be worried about a foreign body or um, cancer or something that has made tissue grow or, or get blocked. So that's more of that low pitched versus strider is more of a high pitched sound. Um, and this can be rigid tissues. So think of like a reed, like we think of reeds. So this is the upper respiratory, a foreign body. It could be paralysis, so laryngeal or tracheal, or excuse me, laryngeal paralysis or tracheal collapse. And that's more just like that high pitched sound. Um, and so that's strider and, and strider and sturder are all upper respiratory. So, um, and this, these are the ones that you can usually hear just looking at your patient, mm -hmm. right? So you look at them and you're like, Ooh, so it's the, the whistly through the nose or yeah. Versus the lower, the lower airway noises are more like your wheezes, your ronky and your crackles. So wheeze is more of like a high pitch asthma bronchoconstriction, which I've definitely have. And when I get it, I listen to myself because yeah. It's like a, it's like when you squeeze a toy and then like it sucks in the air back up and then just kind of does that. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Very... And, it, and it could be an inspiration or expiration. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Sometimes um, it's both. Yeah. Just in my, like for me and you can feel it. It's weird. Yeah. And you feel it in your chest, right? Yeah. Versus like up in your nose or in my throat even like, I don't feel it in my throat. I feel it in my lungs. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And I just like, definitely like, I think of asthma when I think of that, yeah. like, it's just this, like your, you know, your airways, it's, they're just narrowed. And so things going through there just can't move that they, the way that they, they need to. It was no fun. I was nope. so bad for patients when they're wheezing. I don't know. Not as bad as I feel when people have like the ronky. Cause that's like a lower pitch gurgly sound. Um, and it just sounds wet. It sounds. Yeah. But I feel like with Ronky, which is, which is spelled really weird, right? It's R H O N C H I. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but with Ronky, I feel like well, I guess it depends on on how bad both of these are. Mm-hmm. I feel like wheezing is more panic inducing in a patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like your narrow your airways are narrowed, you can't breathe in or out. It's like you're just struggling for it. Whereas Ronky just I, again, I guess it just depends on how bad it is. I feel like they tend to not panic as much with those. Yeah, because that seems more of like a chronic thing. Like it's just that chronic inflammation. I mean, like it just seems, I don't know. I mean, I guess wheezing can be that way too. Versus yeah. your crackles, I feel like patients think that they're drowning. Yeah. Yeah. Because the sounds crackles, like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like you're breathing like into, you know, when you used to blow bubbles in your milk. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Ooh, yes. I think of it as, as rice krispies. It's yeah. that weird popping sound. And most of the times I don't, yeah, no, I don't hear this like outside of the body. Like I have to listen with a stethoscope. Yes. And the, what this is, it's, it's weird because sometimes you can feel it though. Yeah. Yeah. Like you put your hands Ooh. on a patient. Oh, I hate when you can feel it. Um, I feel so bad. Yeah. It, it, and it depends on kind of like you can have it in one part. This is why you listen to all the lung fields because mm-hmm. you can hear it in one part versus another, especially like, um, uh, I think of like, uh, pneumonia with these guys mm-hmm. where you listen and what happens is it's, it's the, the alveoli, in the alveolar ducts, like the small airways that are like snapping open and closed. So it's mm-hmm. like they snap open and they make this popping sound, which is it's creepy. <laughs> and then you can also have the larger airways that do the same thing. And it's a coarser sound. It's, it's a lower pitch, but mm-hmm. more frequent versus the fine crackles or smaller air- airways is like a, a higher pitch, but they're not as frequent. It's, it's, it's weird. And I, I don't like crackles. I hate when I hear crackles in my patient because I feel so bad for them. Mm-hmm. So I, did you, did you learn about rails when you were in school? R-A-L-E-S? Um, yes. See, so it's the funny because I, like 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, because I learned them as rails, but I guess this is so crackles were used to be considered rails see i learned it it as like kind of one and the same okay i guess rails maybe is an older term yeah like i learned it as rails but it was kind of defined as crack like it was one of those things where we could Mm. say rails or crackles got it that makes sense and the other oh this is actually something so on um yeah, so the VIN article that we linked to, they have this cool like infographic of mm-hmm. um, the different kinds of sounds and where they kind of originate from, giving examples, what causes it. And also, so there's continuous sounds, so inspiratory and expiratory, and there's discontinuous, which means like they just kind of happen. And, the, and that's the inspiratory only, which is crackles, which I thought was, it was kind of interesting. I, I liked seeing the infographic. Yeah, definitely. So those are kind of how to, you know, upper versus lower airway differentials. And then the other thing to rule out is um, cardiogenic. So heart issues that are causing respiratory signs. Um, mm-hmm. So that again, you know, x-rays and full workup kind of thing. But so we're going to make sure it's not from the heart. The other thing too, is to make sure we're not doing fluid overload, like transfusion overload kind of thing. So, um, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of more the iatrogenic rule out. So the other part of respiratory system is going to be our diagnostics, which I'll be a stickler on some of these diagnostics because three view radiographs need to happen. Especially, I mean, like it should happen anyway, but like, especially if you're concerned about respiratory stuff, well, obviously radiographs are usually the first thing that we're doing, but, and I will, I will play devil's or not devil's advocate. I will also be a stickler on something here. Three view chest x-rays. Don't yes. Not three view whole dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason is there for a reason. 
Yeah. And the reason we do, and so what we mean by three view, it's usually it's a VD. If you can't do VD and you have to do a DV, that's fine. But you want a right lateral and a left lateral as well, because things look different and we want to make sure that we're getting all the views um, of our patient. Yeah. Cause especially if it looks like there could be like a potential like mass or mm-hmm. mass like structure, it's just easier for our radiologist to really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just easier for a radiologist to tell us where specifically that is, especially like, I mean, we'll get into it, but if we're going to tap and do like a thoracocentesis and then we need to know what we're poking, where we're poking. And a lot of times you can see it on VD, but you, you can get an idea Versus mm-hmm. if you have a right and left, you can really get a clearer picture. Yeah. Well, and in like, we do three view chest x-rays, mm-hmm. especially for our consults. Sometimes like if our clients are having a hard time with money and we do follow-up x-rays, sometimes mm-hmm. we'll do two views or sometimes we yeah. do three and only charge for two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, but three views always the first set of x-rays because- And that should be, I mean, that should just be kind of across the board. Like say we have a splenic tumor and we're doing a MET check. We do three view chest films, like always. So. Yeah. I I feel like that was really a specialty medicine thing though. So I think, yeah, the, the chest x-rays, I mean, I think in general practice, I think I did two view more than I did three view. Definitely. Um, But three view is definitely considered the gold standard. Definitely. Um, yeah. And then CT scan is always nice too. Sometimes like with our CT rhinos, we'll do like a CT scan of their head, but we'll try to include their chest too. If we want to rule out Mets or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if we're already there. Yeah. Um, so CT scan's nice. Cause you can really get all the, all the views on your CT scan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously CT scan's not like the first thing we jump to. No, no. And then ultrasound is useful except for not as useful for the chest cavity because air mm-hmm. obstructs ultrasound view. Yeah. Um, so but if you have like do it for um, fluid checks, I was going to say fluid checks, thoracocentesis when you've got, mm-hmm. yeah. So an ultrasound sometimes, that, but well, they're not as great for air stuff. No. And so we can see, so a lot of times we'll use it in conjunction with x-ray. So we'll take x-rays mm-hmm. and we'll kind of see what like a specific area we need to look at, like for a, like a possible lung lobe torsion or just a or consolidated lung lobe or, that we yeah. want to aspirate. Yeah. Um, or fluid pocket that we want to try to aspirate. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't, the only time we'll do ultrasound is again, like if people are financially constrained and we just put the probe on and we're like, yeah, you have a chest full of fluid. Here's what we recommend. <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then the procedures are, there's a lot of procedures. <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with some of these procedures. I love rhinoscopy. I so that's where we stick a scope up the nose. Them. <laughs> See, that's how I feel about the others. <laughs> See, I, I love hate them. I feel like rhinos, if you find something great. Mm-hmm. If you don't find it, because see, okay, see, this is why I have a love hate with them because I have so many freaking foxtail hunts. Okay, well, yeah, that's- that I hate <laughs> them because foxtails love to hide all over the turbinates, and yeah, so I have a love hate relationship with the rhinoscopy. <laughs> that and they bleed a lot. We we usually find what we're looking for when we do a rhinoscopy. Yeah. So. Versus like a bronchoscopy. Well, let's start with a laryngoscopy. Those aren't that bad because that's typically like a really quick procedure. And let's mm-hmm. be real. Like we don't necessarily need the scope to see if yeah. the we usually, larynx is working. <laughs> I was going to say, we usually like, do that as we're getting ready to do a bronch. Yeah. Like sometimes exactly. we'll be like, oh, we're going to do a laryngeal exam before we do our bronch. Well, Sometimes we'll do it with like, so our surgeon will do a laryngeal exam for mm-hmm. us because he's a surgeon. And he's so we'll just kind of slide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so we'll do a laryngoscopy and just kind of slide the scope past the larynx just to make sure that there's nothing in the trachea that could mm-hmm. be causing issues. But most of the time it's not, we can see that the larynx isn't working without the scope versus the bronchoscopy. Again, 
I love hate relationship because you can't intubate these patients, by the way. Well, you can intubate a rhinoscopy. Um, so the unless mom, it's a huge dog, I was going to say our, our scope fits into a size seven or larger. Yes. Mine too. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think mine fit into an, well, it has to be a seven, but it's a snug fit in a seven. I want to say. Yeah. It's, it's tough in a seven versus an eight and up is not a problem. So these patients can't be necessarily intubated and have gas flowing, <clears throat> but sometimes we'll pass like a red rubber down like next to it just to have the oxygen flow into the trachea. See, we, um, we pass the oxygen through our scope. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So we, um, so we have, it's really funny. We have a one CC syringe that's cut off like the, yeah, uh, the, the part where the pledger goes into that part's cut off. Yeah. And then it, and then we, yeah, you like hook it up to to our, Yeah. And then we, yeah. we stick that into the bronch, Your biopsy the biopsy channel. Yeah. Yeah. And then that way, at least there's some, ox- so the problem is oxygen's going in, but it can't come back out unless they're sucking, <laughs> but yep. they can get oxygen. <laughs> and also too, like you can't really use inhalant anesthetics. I mean, you can, but you're also like exposing the entire room to the inhalant. Yeah. So Um, we usually do either like a propofol boluses. Yeah. That's what we do. We've talked about CRIs, (laughs) but, but the procedures in theory, very quick, hopefully it should be very quick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you shouldn't need to do a CRI. Hopefully you just need to do boluses, which is tricky because you don't want them to have that respiratory depression because you want to still see them breathing to see like everything working properly and coughing up schmoo. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. Like, especially if you're doing a wash. Oh God, washes. I don't like them, which leads us into our special tests. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll go, we'll definitely go more in depth on Bronx stuff when we're doing our infectious lower respiratory yes. infectious stuff. Cause, uh, we do this a lot for like pneumonia, especially those pneumonias that I guess they're recurrent pneumonias. We don't really mm-hmm. do them for like a first time pneumonia unless it's it seems a little horrible. extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's usually the, the pneumonias that, that we just can't clear them for some reason. Um, like we've done the normal courses of antibiotics or you've done a long course. And as soon as you're done, it comes right back. Um, then mm-hmm. we usually do bronchoscopy for that, but we don't just, we don't we try not to jump to a bronch right away. Yeah. Unless we're worried about a foreign body. That's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so some of these special tests include respiratory PCRs. We do these a lot when we're doing like a rhino on a cat, mm-hmm. um, just because cats usually have those weird respiratory Yeah, the, the ice, the conjunctival swabs and the pharyngeal swabs. Yep which don't count unless you get schmutz on them, by the way. Very true. And then your transtracheal wash where you're flushing saline into the trachea and aspirating it back. Same with the- Okay, but uh, the transtracheal wash creeps me out and we never do them. This is the one where you like go through the, like from the outside of the neck with a needle. I've never done one. Into the trachea and get your wash. No, thank you. (laughs) I've never even seen one yeah. and I'm like, that sounds horrible. No, thank you. Right. <laughs> Versus the bronchial alveolar lavage. Or a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done what? Two of those. You've only done two, done two BALs. Yep. Holy moly. We do. We recommended a lot of them, but people are we do, not on board. We do a lot of them. I mean, well, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, I think the last one I did, the dog was coughing up blood and like the lungs were nasty and we couldn't, he had a tumor in his lungs and we couldn't reach it with aspirating. And it was just like, dude, it was sketchy because we were pulling out like bloody fluid. Oh my God. And like, you could tell that the tissue is just so like diseased. It was like, oh, it seemed like it could just fall apart. So it was, yeah, it was, oh. No, we do... Ah, I would say in our department, maybe one a month. Sometimes we'll have more. That's crazy. But yeah, I, I don't, I have a love hate relationship with them because it takes you like a half an hour to an hour to get everything set up. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. the procedure is like 10 to 15 minutes and you're done. And then it takes you a half an hour to an hour to get everything cleaned up and put away. Um, so I have and a love to monitor the patient after too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically those, but the, the good thing about either a transtracheal or a BAL wash. So basically what you're doing is you're injecting sterile saline down into the bronchioles and then you're aspirating that saline back. So if you have like a resistant infection or something like that, we can figure out what antibiotic they need to be on or do they need mm-hmm. an antiviral or, you know, sometimes we can get cancer cells. Um, so that's, that's what the, the BAL is good for. So yeah. other special tests include biopsies or aspirates um, or cytology and thoracocentesis where you're sticking a needle usually in something or biopsying something, but we don't biopsy surgery biopsies. Um, <laughs> Seriously, yeah, no, <laughs> I was gonna say for us, it's either surgery or oncology. We're like, okay, bye. It's a mess. Yeah, exactly. You guys have fun cutting into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that there are a lot of tech skills to utilize yeah. during a lot of these procedures, like monitoring SpO2. Um, we do a lot of oxygen trials, just usually when patients are transferred to us or in oxygen. So it takes, we try them out of oxygen and it takes the tech to monitor them yeah. solely to be sure that they're tolerating it well. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then we know how to intubate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Intubation is key when dealing with a respiratory patient. Hopefully you don't have to use it, but it is key. Yeah. And then we do a lot of inhalers too. I do like doing my inhaler demonstrations with clients. Mm, do you get, uh, do you use the AeroDog? AeroDog and AeroCat? Aerocat. Yeah. 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 We use those. I mean, yeah, as best as we can. Some, some pets just don't tolerate it, but. No, definitely not. It's one of those things that like I tell clients, like, look, if it stresses your pet out more to do this, obviously it's defeating the purpose of it. Right. So we're not going to do this because your, your dog's now like coughing and hacking and losing its mind because it, we put something on its head, on yeah. its face. And then you have nebulization, which is super helpful when you do have your oxygen patients and they're in oxygen. You really mm-hmm. want to moisten up those secretions narrows yeah exactly yeah um which technically you should do if you have a dog and what you should do it twice for every 24 hours or something like that i don't know what the actual breakdown is i think we try to do it it depends and i think it also depends on how bad they are um you know we do it every four to six hours try to Mm -hmm. just you know get the secretions moistened get them out so doing the coupage which there's a very specific way to do that um, to help kind of break up the stuff that's in there and get it up and out. And then like arterial blood gases is something that a tech can utilize as well. So Mm -hmm. that would be an arterial poke. It's not just a normal blood draw. Mm -mm. Um, And it takes a special way of handling the sample too, which I'm sure we'll get into in one of our episodes. Yeah. And it's not, I I was going to say, I've only done a few of these. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, you're, you're poking an artery. (laughs) Um, So you need to be very careful about a a pressure wrap afterwards. This isn't just like, I'm going to hold it off and then I'm good. Like you need to make sure that they're not going to continue bleeding because of the the pressure in that vessel that you just poked. So it's very, very important. So as far as treatment and like communication, client communication, I think it's really specific to disease that we're dealing with. Um, so I don't think we really can get into it now, but we'll, we'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks. Cause a lot of it is similar for, um, types of diseases. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely talk more about treatment and client communication. I guess the biggest thing with client communication is, whatever respiratory disease they have, um, you know, monitoring a respiration rate and effort at home is, is a big thing. So, um, you know, they can, um, you know, count respirations and then, you know, if you have some, so like I will use our journal for that where I tell them, Hey, at home, because they can monitor and, and write it down and, you know, they don't have to, worry about keeping track of it anywhere else. So I I have them put it in the journal and then bring it, especially like 
you know, your, your pneumonia kids or anything like that. Yeah. It's the tip of the week. So we've decided that the tip of the week for this week, <laughs> we're going to go with the magic school bus episode that we'll uh, post about. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the resources really are big to understand how um, the respiratory system works, but <laughs> we're going to say the uh, magic school bus episode. So Jordan, now you really have to Dude, find I, it. I know I will find it because I love that episode. So it's definitely, it's definitely going to be up there. And now for the question of the week. Uh, so this week's question of the week, I guess, um, we'll just double check to see if there's any specific respiratory diseases that you would like to know more about. Um, so if you want to just let us know on our Facebook page, or again, you can email at us at podcast and internal medicine for vet techs. Um, Jordan would appreciate <laughs> some social interaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if you can just let us know, you know, what, what disease is it that you really are interested in or you want to know more about? Anything else you can think of, Jordan, for now? I think that's it. Okay, cool. So next week, we'll discuss an actual respiratory disease. So I think next week, we're going to do some upper respiratory stuff. So we're going to do um, nasal disease. So we're going to talk about all the stuff with like, you know, a rhinoscopy and the things you can find. All right. Fungus, tumors. Oh man. All the things. All the things. Oh, bodies. Respiratory or upper respiratory. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> Gotta love them. <laughs> but right? yeah, I mean, internal medicine, I, we do, we do a ton of stuff with respiratory. I mean, that's kind of, I feel, I feel like we, it's a huge part of what we mm-hmm. do. Um, whether that's infectious or, you know, diagnosing the cancer or finding foreign bodies. I feel like respiratory really is kind of our, our big thing. So. All right. Well, I think that wraps this up. Yep. I think that is the end of this week. Um, Let us know if you have any questions, if there's anything you'd specifically like us to talk about. And we hope that everyone is staying um, nice and safe and healthy, (laughs) you know, wearing your PPE when dealing with anything respiratory. How's that? (laughs) Right. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.